welcome to Wrestling at Random. I'm Jeremy Deemer. And I am Adam Summers. And this is the podcast where every week we drop in on a weekly television show from a randomly selected territory. Yes, and randomly selected is the uh, operative word there, as we are not choosing these shows of our own volition. We have dumped thousands upon thousands upon thousands of hours of pro wrestling television content into the randomizer. Uh, It could be from any company, territory, as you said, all around the world, uh, going as far back as you can go up until 2010. That is what we are categorizing as classic, which... God, that's terrifying that 2010 is classic, but that's that's a story for another time. Uh, This week's show, I'm very excited about, Jeremy, when the randomizer pulled this. It's the first time uh, in the many episodes of this podcast that we've been able to review an episode of TV from one of the two promotions that were the first wrestling companies I ever saw as a very young child. I'm talking three, four years old uh, growing up in Louisiana. Mid-South Wrestling. Mid-South Wrestling, promoted in Louisiana, Mississippi, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and parts of Texas. Bill Watts ran the promotion and was noted for producing award-winning television shows and drew many huge houses throughout the territory, particularly in 1984 when Bill Dundee was booking and Jim Duggan, Terry Taylor, The Rock and Roll Express... Magnum TA, The Midnight Express, Steve Williams, and Butch Reed were the headliners of the day. Business fell off over the next few years, partially due to the abysmal economic conditions in the region because of the decline of the oil business and partially because of changes within the wrestling business. After an attempt to follow the lead of Vince McMahon and Jim Crockett to turn Mid-South Wrestling into a national company called the Universal Wrestling Federation. When that failed, Watts sold his company to Jim Crockett Promotions in 1987. Let's drop in on this weekly television show from December 7th, 1985. This is actually not that long. This is just months after I moved back from uh, our family moved back from new orleans to the chicago area so i probably it's safe to say i did not see this show live on television but you go back a couple months and i'm pretty sure that me as like a four-year-old kid was watching these episodes we open with a video package showing clips of action and and someone in the graphics department had just gotten access to the effect that adds trails to everyone and cool dissolves between clips. There's trails, there's cool dissolves. One of those dissolves is everything gets pixelated and then like re-pixelates as a different graphic. No, this, this opening, we see a bunch of stars, legitimate stars of professional wrestling. And then it is a tour de force, as you said, of eighties editing video effects. We go to the desk where Boyd Pearson welcomes us to the first night of the Mid-South TV Tournament. I believe it's Boyd Pierce, if I'm not mistaken, but close enough. <laughs> Boyd Pierce, a, a elderly gentleman here, uh, a longtime voice uh, of pro wrestling and of Mid-South, but here on the show, as we'll see, 
And on most episodes of TV, Boyd Pierce doesn't really say a whole lot. He's there. He may chime in telling us about a show that's coming up or have a stray comment. But this program, in all ways, really, it is the Bill Watts show. And and that is the case even here at this desk. It is noteworthy, as we've talked about several different territories throughout uh, this season two of the podcast, that, you know, this falls into the everything sort of is anchored by and revolves around the desk. If you go back to our show uh, reviewing NWA Championship Wrestling from Florida, very similar setup with the uh, the desk where Gordon Soley was, uh, kind of guiding us through the shows. Uh, different from that all-star wrestling show that we reviewed where there is no desk. We see Vince uh, and Pat Patterson briefly, but then that's it. Then it's just them calling the matches. Uh, and even the same thing with, uh, with some of the other territories that we've reviewed. I think of Smoky Mountain uh, as one example. Uh, World Class, where you had the announcers in front of the ring before the show started, but not at the desk. So I'm already happy here because for a territory show, I want that damn desk to be there. It makes me feel good feel comfortable watching the show. Butch Reed won the North American title. And because Reed had both belts, the North American title and the Mid-South TV title, he had to vacate the television title, which is why we're having this tournament. A 14-man TV title tournament. Bill Watts says that there is no bracket there's a random draw instead, which it begs the question, isn't that usually how brackets and wrestling are chosen, kayfabe-wise, anyway, for a tournament? Now, we'll get more explanations later on about how they draw the bracket for this tournament, and I only get more confused. <laughs> well, I was just excited to hear that they were basically firing up their version of the randomizer uh, for this TV tournament. They said, no brackets, randomizer only. So a tip of the hat to Bill Watts for uh, being random in 85. When we see some of these matches, I'm actually wondering (laughs) if it was a legitimate randomizer, not only picking who would wrestle who, but how they decided that some of these men were going to be the champion of television. (laughs) They had opportunity. Some so these guys should not have even been on television, but <laughs> no. we'll, uh, we'll get to that. There's more important business to tend to because Bill Watts says that he has good news for us all. The, the prognosis for Ted DiBiase to return to pro wrestling has become positive, Bill Watts said. He believes that Ted DiBiase will be able to wrestle again. And then he mentions one of the overriding themes of this show, cards and letters. <laughs> That's right. We hear Ted DiBiase on the phone. He says he will return on Christmas night. He wants Ric Flair or Dick Murdoch on Christmas night. We're told that Flair was fined $5,000, and we go to a taped interview for Flair's comments. Well, before we do that, uh, I, there are a few things that I was amused by with the, the lead into the DiBiase phone interview. When Bill Watts says that he he finds it very necessary to tell everyone that we forwarded all the mail to him to protect his address. <laughs> That's right. Everything came to the studio yes. <laughs> and they delivered it to, to his home. So uh, uh, to protect his address. <laughs> yes, that's the exact phrase. And then also Ted DiBiase was interviewed over the phone by Joel Watts. Uh, and then at that point I thought, I wonder what a young Eric Watts was doing. Was he you know, studying 
early New Japan getting an idea of how to learn the STF here in 1985. Maybe a, a young Eric Watts had sent a card or letter to Lou Thez to ask him how to teal, uh, how to, to learn to do the STF. I don't know. But yes, Ted DiBiase says in this interview that uh, the doctors have said the injury will mend completely, that he will make his, quote, return debut, which I was <laughs> amused by, because it can only be one. It definitely can't be both. Uh, but he will be making his return debut on Christmas night, as we've talked about in the territories. A lot of times Thanksgiving night and Christmas night were their biggest shows of the year. Yep. Clearly, they were building to something similar here. And then Ted DiBiase basically said, God is the reason that he is able to return. So kind of foreshadowing his his later in life turn to uh, to becoming a preacher of sorts. And quite a large middle <laughs> that he experienced. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. The, the gap was bridged by lots of money and other things. Ooh, and other things. That is correct. So... Uh, the taped flare interview, his comments are basically, he doesn't care about $5,000. Doesn't care yeah, about he, this fine. This is nothing. It's a zero. He's fantastic here for the most part. Uh, he says, you know, uh, if you are any man after you tried, or no, this is, uh, Ted says basically, he, well, Ted says, I'm coming for you, daddy. That's the most important thing about the Ted DiBiase interview. Sorry. <laughs> Ted to get that in there because it just cracks me up. That's a very Dusty Rhodes way of talking from Ted DiBiase. But then, yes, Flair is interviewed. He says that Mid-South Wrestling is powerful, one of the most powerful wrestling organizations in the world, but they're not bigger than Ric Flair. And he says, finding me is like jumping on the Chase Manhattan, which I thought was a great line. He's saying, Butch Reed, you had it coming to you. And like, I'm hearing this. I'm excited about the idea of Ric Flair versus Butch Reed. Then Ric Flair says something. It was not good. No. It was not appropriate, even in 1985. I don't particularly want to repeat it. If you're going to watch the show, uh, or if you have watched this episode of Mid-South and you've listened to this podcast, you know what he said. I, uh, this, yeah, this stopped me in my tracks. Triple H would be saying, Rick, you're being too racist here. <laughs> Yeah, it was. Uh, he would be. They'd be watching the Booker T thing, and and Triple H would be like, "Thank God I didn't throw that into the angle." Yeah, this is the stuff they could say in 1985 on television in Mid South. Somehow, so. it still blows me away that, that even in 1985, that things like this were being said on television. Like, not okay. And I was not expecting uh, to to uh, to hear that here, but. Again, it's Mid-South Wrestling in the 80s, so I guess we shouldn't be... And it's it's Bill Watts booking. Correct. And so, you know, you fast forward to seven years later, uh, just up the road in the southeast part of the country, Bill Watts went running a wrestling company and how that ended up in the courts. And so I guess none of this should have been shocking. Watts tells us that there has been a winner chosen for the Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert Portrait Contest. <laughs> but the portrait has been stolen. According to Eddie Gilbert. Yes, they won't name the winner tonight until they investigate what's going on. Yeah, we need an investigation here. Not just about how the portrait got stolen, but what is this? I hope we'll learn more as it goes along. Uh, Ric Flair, just going back to that promo briefly, did have a couple good lines. There was some interesting stuff where he talks about that all you've done is bring me and Dick Slater closer together. 
he then says that Dick Slater once charged me five grand just to put my bicep around Dark Journey's waist. Dark Journey, the valet slash girlfriend of Dirty Dick Slater here in Mid South in 1985. So, uh, as you said, we then uh, we yeah, go the, from this. The aforementioned Dick Slater and Dark Journey join the set for an interview. And Dick Slater, he has this robe that is like. It's basically exactly what you would imagine if Dick Slater and his uh, sort of cowboy style told somebody to try to make him a Ric Flair robe. <laughs> it's exactly how this would come out. Uh, it, it has jewels kind of on the lapel. And then he's wearing a Stetson hat. It's, it's kind of like a mix between a Stetson hat and a, a, a cowboy hat, which is, yes, <laughs> it's a, an interesting look uh, combined with just this robe and who Dick Slater is. And then he goes on to I talk just like about him but- looking at himself in the mirror in that robe and goes, I need a hat. <laughs> give me yes. give me that hat. That's what this yes. outfit's missing. What does this lack? <laughs> hat. <laughs> and then speaking of things that lack things or people that lack things, Dick Slater, he says at least 10 times on this show that this is an exact quote. Butch Reed doesn't have a gut in his body. He does. Which... I'm assuming he's trying to say the man doesn't have guts. Correct. But it appears as though he's pointing out that Butch Reed is in good shape, <laughs> which he is. Oh, phenomenal! But not what not not what he's trying to say here. Uh, he's just he's a Dick Slater is crazy. He's just a crazy man. The he, unpredictable Dick Slater, yeah, is it, what he's called here on this show. He also talks about. Rick Flair being mad at him because Flair has spent fifty thousand dollars that Dick Slater hasn't collected yet. Guess there's a bounty of there's some a sort. Bounty uh, here, yeah, and uh, and Dick Slater's also been fined a bunch of times. We 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 find out here as well. So he calls out the North American champion Butch Reed, but and... Bill Watts interrupts him, which is <laughs> actually pretty great. Yeah, Bill Watts will have none of this. He goes, "Take up your request with matchmaker Grizzly Smith." He also says that Butch has whooped him twice. And so, yes, take up your request with uh, with Grizzly Smith. We go to commercial, but not before Dick Slater, not wanting to be left out, gets in some super racist stuff as well, saying as we go to the break twice that he will, quote, own Butch Reed. Dick Slater met his girlfriend valet dark journey when she was a stripper in atlanta she became his girlfriend and he brought her in as his valet and the grizzly smith that was mentioned here you would know him uh as the father of jake the snake roberts uh sam houston um, so that's uh, the famous Smith family. Uh, yes, Russell. quite the uh, the controversial and sordid history of that family as well. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's another podcast. <laughs> that's yes, a- <laughs> that's another podcast series. That's a spinoff for sure. Uh, um, G- we go to the ring now, and Jim Ross, who has a weird role on this show, by the way, Jim Ross, he's here interviewing the Hacksaws, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and Butch Reed, or as uh, a lot of times people in Mid-South, including sometimes uh, Bill Watts would call him Hacksaw Dugan, but here it's Hacksaw Duggan and Hacksaw Butch Reed. How did they have two Hacksaws? This was bothering me the whole time. When everyone's just cool that they both have the name Hacksaw, 
Well, that's why they're a team. They're the hacksaws. I feel like they were road both hacksaws. Hawk and road no. warrior animal, the road warriors. Hacksaw Jim Duggan slash Dugan, hacksaw Butch Reed, the if, hacksaws. If they came in together as the hacksaws and then had success in their single careers as both hacksaws, I could see that. But I see, think I like they were better. independent <laughs> hacksaws that had come <laughs> together were. to form a team of hacksaws. And that, I want to know how we got, like, when who who was first as a hacksaw? And then who was the other hacksaw that came in and <laughs> said, like, no, no, I'm hacksaw too. There's room enough for two hacksaws in the Mid-South promotion. And maybe we can occasionally team up as the hacksaws. I love it. I love the idea that there are two men who were, as you said, independent hacksaws uh, that came into this territory and looked around and said, I probably need an ally. Who can I team with? Well, there's another man who has arrived in this territory that is also named Hacksaw. I am not friends with him. I may have not ever met him before. We have nothing in common, but because we had the nickname Hacksaw before, we are now bonded as brothers, and we will team. I like to think that Buzz Sawyer was being spoken of in the locker room, and a hacksaw thought they heard Buzzsaw and said, wait, <laughs> wait, maybe there's room for one more on this team. And they said, no, it's Buzz Sawyer, not Buzzsaw. Okay. One never knows. It was the wrestling business in the mid-80s, so I'm sure uh, there are a lot of weird things happening. People were hearing and seeing things that weren't actually there, so, so it's I did possible. Not, I did not understand what this interview was about. So Jim Ross is interviewing the Hacksaws and Jim Duggan's girlfriend, Deborah, and Duggan had, has taught Deborah some moves, so she's going to keep an eye on Dark Journey. Apparently, yeah, apparently she was beat up by Buzz Sawyer. Yeah, um, and, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan, not, you know, we had the racism earlier in the show, and he figured he'd mix it up, spice it up with some misogyny, talks about how, uh, you know, a woman's place is not the ring, but I won't, I won't let no one put their hands on a girl. Uh, Deborah will keep an eye on Dark Journey. And then Deborah, one of the least charismatic human beings I've ever seen in Had my life. Had to be his real life girlfriend, right? That's the only way that this woman's on television. Yeah, yeah she I is not charismatic or. I can't imagine having multiple options and choosing this person to be on television uh, on your TV show. The best part about this, though, what is the first thing she talks about? Cards and letters. Of course, she talks about all the cards and letters that were sent. I'm assuming here that we we're dealing with, you know the mid eighties and what clearly apparently was a fairly misogynistic company that they were not as concerned about protecting her privacy. And so I'm guessing all those cards and letters were <laughs> right sent to directly house. to her house 100%. and not to the studio. Um, she says that she can protect herself though, after Hacksaw Duggan has has taught her some moves. Uh, then Jim Ross, who again, he's in the ring right now, essentially as an interviewer, he asks Butch Reed about Dick Slater, and at this point, I notice the gigantic championship belt on Butch Reed's shoulder. It's hard that to North tell. North American title is huge. Yes. Yeah, it's hard to tell how like nice or not nice looking it is. I don't know if it's a beautiful belt, but my God, is this belt whatever it's lacking in quality, it's making up for in sheer size. It is a monstrous championship belt. Yeah, Butch Reed says that uh, 
he's beaten Dick Slater repeatedly, so he's hanging the not interested sign. He he doesn't he's not interested in wrestling Dick Slater again. So he tells him, until you come up with something interesting, I'm gonna go on to bigger and better things like Ric Flair. Which totally so at, makes sense. At this point, we see jobbers in the ring, and Jim Ross just right out of doing the interview transitions into being the ring announcer which I don't know that I've ever seen that happen on a show before, but he introduces the team of Mike Scott and Tiger Tab. That's right. Mike Scott and Tiger Tab against the Hacksaws, Butch Reed and Jim Duggan. Well, they're not the Hacksaws. At this point, Boyd Pierce speaks for the first time, basically, since we saw them at the desk, and he makes it a point to call them the Wrestling Hacksaws. (laughs) Even better. All four men start in the ring, and the Hacksaws beat them up, ram them together, slam by Duggan. Both guys get in the three-point stance. They tackle poor Mr. Tab. Three Boyd count. Pierce yells, holy moly! <laughs> we get a three-count by Duggan. This was a lightning-quick squash match here, and the Hacksaws are like your winners. 15, like 15 seconds. Like It took longer to talk about it than it <laughs> took to actually occur. Uh, we we go to commercial, we come back, and Jim Ross is in the ring, and he introduces these two men that are part of the 14 competitors here in the Mid-South region who will compete for the tag, or excuse me, for the, the television championship. They are Ricky Gibson and Tommy Wright. Yeah, I was, I was uh, struggling to identify the jobber as this match was starting. Uh, this was like on WCW Saturday night when they would have like Bob Cook wrestle uh, Keith Cole and they call it like the contenders challenge. But it was basically <laughs> like a match between two jobbers and one would actually win. That's basically what this was. I was also amused by the fact that this is a territory that had just very recently had for quite a while the Rock and Roll Express. And they're even referenced later in the show. And they had a guy named Ricky Gibson here, the, the mashup of the two names. It was also odd to me how Ricky Gibson looked like if Tully Blanchard gained weight and, and wore a red singlet. That's what, you know, that's what he would look like. All comparisons stop there. <laughs> His yeah. opponent, Tommy Wright, has a blonde, perm, curly mop of hair and then a dark mustache. It is an incredible look. That's right. Looks like he's a big Hall of Notes fan. But uh, yes. Uh, yes. so we have Gibson starts with head scissors, then goes for a flying head scissors. Oh my god! But Wright just falls backward instead of rolling forward. It was super awkward. They cr- just crash into the ropes. Very lucky no one broke their necks. Uh, as all this is happening, we get more information here from Bill Watts telling us that. Ricky Gibson is a former world junior heavyweight champion. And he says that they're getting calls from wrestlers all around the world about a potential junior heavyweight title tournament, which I'm pretty sure never happened. But well, if that was some of the high flying action we could expect from yes. the junior tournament. I'm sure he, he canceled the idea right there in that missed spot. Yeah. I would imagine, <laughs> let's say if tiger mask and dynamite kid were watching this and then, you know, they were thinking they had already put in their calls, maybe sent in a card or a letter you know, to, to ask themselves, you know, or invite themselves into the tournament. They saw this and figured out, oh, no, we're good. Uh, we also learned something about 
there's no more 15 minute time limits for the TV title because it's too prestigious, which I don't get. Like the whole idea of the TV title is that you have the matches on TV and since it's on TV, you have a shorter time limit. That's kind of what makes it different from all the other championships you have. But uh, I don't know. He, he then is talking about like, people are clamoring for this action. This is exactly the type of match that people have wanted. Basically saying people have wanted babyface versus babyface matches. And like, as this is happening, these guys are just having the most boring dry match with like headlock takeovers. And I just, I, I write down that I just do not believe that people are clamoring for this. No. And then, and then Bill Watts starts talking about, this is where I get even more confused about how they're coming up with this tournament. He says something about that. They pull three names. One of those names gets a buy, and then the other two guys have to wrestle each other. Okay, so yeah, that part made no, no sense. sense. But he 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 did explain that every round is random. So like when they finish the first round of the tournament, all of the winners go back into Grizzly Smith's hat, and they draw matchups out of the hat yes. again and so it's basically reseeding but without any actual rankings in mind it's just yeah no, blind draw random, each time and when we say grizzly smith's hat we're not saying that euphemistically that is literally <laughs> what they did that's how they drew these we don't see it but that is how they drew it out of grizzly smith's hat yes that is um, that is also which we will for now always call the 80s randomizer is yes. grizzly smith's hat yeah. it's it's also exactly what you would use for royal rumble parties when you were a kid you cut up a bunch <laughs> yes. of numbers at least that's what i did 100 i had that, like yeah. 10 people over you cut As up a, a kid bunch i did of that numbers. like last year yeah no. <laughs> <laughs> put them put them in a hat pick them and then that's who you, you know then you had to cheer for uh, marty Jannetty or something that's just how it went um we're not talking about the match because really all this match is uh, to this point, it's hip tosses, arm drags, and lots of head scissors. Lots Thankfully, head scissors. no, no more flying takeovers. head scissors. No, yeah. Headlock takeovers. It's a big mat. thing in this territory. Oh. Um, it, this is where I know that this is basically like an episode of nitro or more. So I would say like that episode of primetime where yes, with like iron Mike sharp is wrestling Jim Powers, uh, Jim Powers, <laughs> and Tony Schiavone and Lord Alfred Hayes just completely give up like any pretense of caring about the match and just start doing a podcast. Here, <laughs> Bill Watts is just doing the Mid South Newsline podcast. Yeah. He is going through every possible thing. He's repeating stories that he told earlier. Uh, at one point, we get some really bad like tracking issues with the VHS tape source. And I don't even mind. No. Because no. we have like 20 seconds of these scramble vision, like you're listening to a pay-per-view that you didn't order. And then it comes back and they're still in the same hold. I wrote in my notes, I want neither of these men to win the TV title. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, I want this 15. Well, not even 15. I want a very <laughs> short time limit in both of these men to be eliminated, this... both from the match, the tournament, and Grizzly Smith's hat. We cannot, we cannot be so lucky, though. We then get towards the end of this this encounter. Uh, Tommy Wright hits what has to be the worst monkey flip I have ever seen in my life. Yeah, he does a monkey flip, but Gibson holds onto the leg, and I thought it was just the world's slowest monkey flip, but <laughs> something was happening because he held onto yeah. that leg. He he rolls through and puts on a reverse figure four with the bridge for the pin and this pin was awesome everything else about this match sucked yes it was just the most nothing match you've ever seen 
But then he hits this pin that looked like it was beamed in from another galaxy. He goes for a spinning toll. As you said, he holds on to this incredibly slow monkey flip uh, and hooks on a spinning toe hold, crosses the legs figure four style, and then leans back in a bridging pin and gets the three count. Like this was some straight up like Lucha stuff. It was so weird here in this match, a cool finish to a nothing match. It was a nothing uh, match, but I did. It was perfect for Bill Watts to recap every single yes. top feud and storyline. At the end of this match, I felt caught up on what's going yeah. on in Mid South in this moment, and and that's that's like great for everything. Dropping in. Yeah. Everything that was going on in Mid South, he told us that Brett Wayne was on his way to Mid South. We and talked that about the... him at the uh, Battle of Atlanta. Yeah. That's... Yes, the brother of Buzz Sawyer, mm-hmm. but he has integrity unlike his brother. Uh, so, yeah, we were totally caught up. The Mid-South podcast was a good listen. I'll subscribe. <laughs> it was. There's a Patreon. I may kick in $4.99. Maybe, <laughs> actually, maybe I'll kick in $9.99 like people can do with our Patreon. You can be Grizzly Smith's hat. I would Smith like to hat. be the randomizer. You want to be Grizzly Smith's hat? <laughs> I want to be Grizzly Smith's hat. What a weird sentence, but yes. Sadly, unable to do that. I also wish that I could erase the next man from existence just because I've always just it's one of those guys I cannot stand. It's kind of the way you feel about the Grand Wizard of Wrestling. Oliver Sir, Humperdinck? Oliver Humperdinck wow. is in the ring as we return. And he I is did, with... I did not know that you had an ugh. aversion to Sir Oliver Humperdinck. I think most of it is from when, in later years, he managed the Freebirds. And he was called <laughs> Big Daddy Dink. Okay. I think that whole thing was the reason I couldn't deal with it. I think the name. So it wasn't the big Kahuna years with the SST or uh, well that too. The, but uh... no, he was Big Daddy Dink. Here yes. he's just Oliver Humperdink, and he is with one half of the tag team champions. One of my favorite wrestlers growing up, my dad's favorite wrestler from this time period. He loved hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert. So did I. This is one of our first. Is this maybe our? No, we saw him. Very briefly on one NWA show, I think. Yeah, and he's on a Clash of the Champions. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, uh, but this is this is Eddie Gilbert. This is prime Eddie Gilbert oh. here. And yeah, we did not get enough. I wanted more. No, uh, we were, we were no that's robbed. literally what I write at the end of this match. I want more. Ladies and gentlemen, this match of Mid-South Wrestling, one fall with a 10-minute time limit. Hey, I'm going to do the introduction here, Ross. You just stand there and look intelligent if you can. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce to you one half of the Mid-South Tag Team Champions, Hot Stuff, Eddie Gilbert. And ladies and gentlemen, Hot Stuff's opponent at 215 pounds from the state of Texas, Steve Dahl. His opponent, Steve Dahl. Which, by the way, just imagine, what would it be, some... 11 years later, 10 and a half years later, wasn't it Steve Dahl that was in the ring with mean Mike Enos when Scott Hall Hall came in? That's the same Steve Dahl. That is the same Steve Dahl. This is a very young Steve Dahl. Not quite well done. (laughs) uh, If you recall that tag team uh, when he was, uh, was it Timothy? Well, then he was Steven Dunn the well-done uh, undercard team in uh, in the WWF. But yes, this is the same Steve Dahl that would go on to be a footnote in history being in the ring when Scott Hall came out for the first time on Nitro, starting what would be the NWO angle that would you know catapult WCW into the stratosphere. Here he's young, he's pretty green, and he has nowhere near as much charisma as Eddie Gilbert, who is just 
he Eddie Gilbert is the best, like manic, sleazy, uh, just completely self-centered, narcissistic heel. I just he's he just screams like pro wrestling ridiculousness in the best way possible. And the other realization that I had here watching him, we've talked about before, you know, we talked about Adrian Adonis and seeing sure. him on this podcast, not only thinking like, oh my God, he, he was great, but also seeing him and realizing, wow, Shawn Michaels stole everything from him as far as like his heel turn gimmick uh, in the early 90s. Here with Eddie Gilbert, Brian Christopher, Grandmaster Sexy, Scott, or whatever you want to call him, he, he tried so hard to be Eddie Gilbert. That's who he thought he was. He couldn't pull it off, but that's who he was trying to be for so many years. Oh, yeah, not not even in the same league, not playing the same game. No. Uh, Eddie Gilbert, phenomenal here. We're told that he couldn't stand the thought of giving up the portrait, <laughs> and so that's why the portrait is missing, because he kept it for himself. He apparently, like, they said something that he literally, not figuratively, but literally sits in his his luxurious home and just looks at his portrait all day. <laughs> Which, when you see Eddie Gilbert here with this, I, like, I buy it. <laughs> I, I 100% believe it. He's got he's got these sunglasses. He's got these like pink tights with like fire going up and down the sides. He's got this this hair where it's blonde, but his brown roots are showing. Everything about him just screams a guy who would look at his own portrait all day. Some good takedowns by Gilbert. Dahl sends Gilbert to the buckle backdrop. A forearm knocks Gilbert down again. Off the ropes, Dahl comes charging in at Eddie Gilbert, who just catches him, lifts him up, falls back, clotheslining him on the top rope. The, the hot, hot shot. shot. I love that move. Yes, a great finisher. The hot shot for the pin. Your winner, quickly. Hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert. We didn't. We saw too much Steve Dahl. Not enough Eddie Gilbert in this match. I, I want more. I felt robbed. Yes, I would agree. A couple notes. Eddie Gilbert doing the hot shot as you described it. So, like I said, he was one of my favorite wrestlers as a kid. Well, fast forward, a guy named Stunning Steve Austin shows up in WCW. And what does he use as the finisher? The hot shot. He calls it the stun gun. And that that is where I became a huge Steve Austin fan as a kid. Seeing him do that move in WCW, he became pretty much my favorite wrestler in WCW at that time. And it was all because he used Eddie Gilbert's move. So cool through line there for me, at least. Also, we have more cards and letters and Mal referenced by Bill Watts in this match. As he talks about, they've received more Mal about three men, the rock and roll express and Terry Taylor than any other wrestlers that have come through mid South fans asking, pleading for those men to come back. He basically doesn't say anything about the rock and roll express, but he tells us that Terry Taylor will, in fact, be back on Christmas night. Uh, I don't know if it's like Ted DiBiase or it's a return debut, but he'll be back as well. So that's another draw here for the big Christmas night event. After commercial, the TV tournament continues. Nightmare is uh, introduced by your favorite, Sir Oliver Humperdinck. And we learn that he's Eddie Guerrero's, uh, Eddie Gilbert's tag partner, and he's half the tag team champions with Eddie Gilbert. And Nightmare's opponent, Sean O'Reilly. Let's talk for a moment about both of these men. (laughs) Because when you hear Nightmare 
it conjures up a certain look for a pro wrestler. Maybe there's face paint. Maybe they're big and jacked. Maybe they come out with shoulder pads with spikes on them. You would imagine if they have hair, it's probably black or they have a shaved head. I would think maybe they're in really good shape. Overall, they're probably a scary nightmare of a human. This guy, the nightmare, he looks like the best way I can describe him is he looks like like a fat Dennis Condry. And okay, yes, that that is a good comp. I had if you put Big John Stud in the dryer and shrank him down. <laughs> but yeah, definitely. he's like a. It's like who is the that, that's actually perfect as well. Who is the guy that? No, he he's basically he is the King Kong Mosca to Andre the Giant. <laughs> is that version for uh, for Big John Stud? I yes. want that match. I want the Nightmare and King Kong Mosca versus Big John Stud and Andre the Giant. Uh, sadly, we do not get that here. Um, my notes were a little bit less complimentary. I was just so shocked about the nightmare. I write, he's just a tubby guy in red trunks. Um, and that really is actually probably the most the most you need. Meanwhile, Sean O'Reilly, he's a guy in black trunks, very generic. He's Irish, you see, because his last name is O'Reilly. They introduce him as being from Boston, and he's wearing a T-shirt with a shamrock on it. So... Subtlety, not the strong point here of Mid-South in 1985. But these two men are going to have a pitched battle to advance in the television title tournament. Nightmare out of the corner. Hip toss by O'Reilly. Tries to follow it up with a drop kick. He misses. Nightmare with a near fall after an elbow drop. Side Russian leg sweep by the Nightmare, but O'Reilly kicks out this time. Nightmare... Then... he he actually uh, he actually gets gets punched by O'Reilly because O'Reilly's fighting back. Dusty Rhodes esque punches here. Um, well, and- before that, I I'll note that like I actually there was a point in this match where I started to think maybe Nightmare is good. He threw some really cool like step forearms in the corner, and I'm like, oh maybe I like Nightmare. He's just a brute. Then I notice, as you mentioned, O'Reilly fighting back. Then I notice. O'Reilly has the most terrifying scar I have ever seen in my life on his stomach. I I feel bad for him. I don't know what happened to him in his life, but whatever it was, it must have been really, really serious. And I just watch this. I'm thinking, wow, I'm just glad this man is okay after whatever operation he had. Another drop kick and nightmare kicks out before one. So (laughs) O'Reilly's big flurry of punches. And a drop kick, and Nightmare kicks out before one. It's because he's a nightmare. He's terrifying. Uh, this was the moment, though, where I then amended my previous thought and realized, okay, Nightmare actually sucks again. <laughs> His sell of this drop kick is one of the most absurd things I have ever seen watching pro wrestling, and I'm not. It's not hyperbole. This sell of the drop kick was the equivalent of the Rock selling a Stone Cold Stunner. It was. So over the top and ridiculous uh, with the rock. It's obviously much more entertaining because it's him. Uh, I'm trying to think this almost was like Shawn Michaels going so over the top selling for Hulk Hogan to try to make him look like a fool. That SummerSlam match. I can't remember what year it was, but that's like, like he gets hit with this drop kick and it's just, it's total cartoon stuff. Nightmare with a clothesline and then a pile driver gets the win 
He advances in the TV tournament. After commercial, we're going to have another TV tournament bout. This one is Al Perez versus <laughs> Dick Slater. Now, uh, tough draw for these two compared to the other squashes earlier. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, also, tough draw for Dick Slater. He's facing a man who would go on to be the world heavyweight champion just two years later. In world class, uh, 1980, <laughs> in the dying days of world class. Go hey, back to Martin that Lowrance, episode if you want to hear us uh, talk about Martin Al Perez. Told me when I watched that episode, he told us that there were four men in the ring who were among the greatest wrestlers in the world, and Al Perez was one of those men. So I'm assuming here he still has some of that greatness. What he doesn't have, though, is good gear. My God, his look. He's wearing just like these generic long black tights, and then he is wearing it looks like I've now discovered what the inspiration was for that shirt that Christian wore for so long. That like fishnet mesh shirt that's what he's wearing here he also has a like closely cropped uh short black hair and mustache they were i don't know if this was intentional or not they were kind of going for the freddie mercury look but it was it was an odd look for el perez they talk about el perez's gear later uh apparently yes uh, they explain that perez is wearing the long black tights because he lost a stipulation match to dr death that resulted in him wearing this gear. I need more information on this. How, yeah. what, what was the, why what was this gear, Why is this the stipulation? How did this build to you must wear these pants? Why, I, the biggest question is, the thing that I immediately thought, if Al Perez defeated Dr. Death Steve Williams, is this what Dr. Death Steve Williams would have had to wear? Yeah, or was it like a more information? Each, yeah. Each man picks gear that the loser would have to wear, you know, if, if, but he these wins. are just like long black tights. I don't understand how this is a punishment yeah. other than like, it's not cool. Uh, well, is were long black tights, the young lion gear of mid South. <laughs> and did, did this denote that Al Perez's path to the world heavyweight title and world class was being derailed because he had to wear the long black tights yeah i don't know his gear of choice his preferred gear is short black tights (laughs) exactly (laughs) you're punishing him by allowing his legs to be a little warmer which is very strange i i don't get it but fine um dick slater gets on the mic again which is a refrain we'll hear throughout this show Uh, he's in the ring with jim ross he says that Butch Reed is the scum of the earth. He again says that Butch Reed will never have a gut in his body. And then Jim Ross uh, starts you know, saying, well, why don't you say this to Butch Reed personally? Uh, why don't you tell him that personally? He's coming to the ring, and here comes one half of the hacksaws, hacksaw Butch Reed. Yeah, Butch Reed comes out, and as soon as he steps in the ring, Slater pulls Dark Journey in front of him, hiding behind yes. her. That was great. First of all, I couldn't get out what I needed to say about Butch Reed. As far as I'm concerned, Butch Reed reminds me of the scum of the earth. Butch Reed has got no guts in his body. Otherwise, he would put up that North American heavyweight champion. And I know what I'm going to do with a championship belt when I get it. I'm going to put it right around Journey's waist. As far as I'm concerned, Butch Reed will never be a man like I am, he'll never have what I have. And he will never, never have a 
gutting his body to come in and take Dick Slater on for anything other than the North American Heavyweight Championship. You heard what he You tell Reed personally for me. Why don't you tell him? He don't have any guts at all. Why don't, he had any guts why don't you tell him yourself? Why don't you tell him yourself? I don't need to tell him personally. He's coming anything. to the ring right now, so why don't you tell him yourself? You had a message for him, you tell him. You something. You out here flapping your gums out here, Slater. Now, let me, let me tell you what I got to tell you, sucker. And it's this right here. See, I done beat you all over Mid-South. Yeah, you hold that hat you want to. I done beat you in the championship matches. I done beat you in the bounty matches. And you don't have no call for a title match anymore, sucker. All you got, you don't have nothing Butch Reed. Hey, he don't have nothing that Butch Reed won't. You know that? I done already beat you, back jumper. You ain't nothing but a back jumping. All you got is $50,000 blood money from Ric Flair. And the weight you going now, baby, you ain't gonna have that as much as you getting fired. So until you come up with something interesting for Butch Reed to uh, wrestle you for, then you just wait till your turn, my man. You understand? Dick Slater, we'll get to it when the match starts, but, and we mentioned this on a previous show when we watched a Dick Slater match. It might have been that Dick Slater, Greg, Greg Valentine, Valentine cage match. It was, yeah, yeah. Dick we, Slater. The same gear like, on. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> both wearing blue, the same exact gear, similar body types. Ugh. But Dick Slater is one of those guys that, like, you always talk about or you think about, well, if this other guy didn't exist, then this guy would be considered, like, an all-time great. And Dick Slater, if Terry Funk never existed, sure, yeah, people would talk about how great Dick Slater is. But the problem is that everything that Dick Slater does, Terry Funk does so much better. But Slater still everything he does is very Funk esque, but nothing gets to that level. Reed is not interested in defending the title against Dick Slater because he beat him already. Then he gets an idea. He says, yeah, he Wait. again says, until you come up with something interesting, you have to get back in line. And as this promo is going and we see Dick Slater in Dark Journey, I think anybody can see where this is going. And that's, in fact, as you're going to describe where it goes. Yeah, he gets the idea. He goes, I'll give you a shot. You don't have anything I want, but you have something I want to get rid of. You put Dark Journey on the line. I want her out of Mid-South. So if Reed wins, Dark Journey's gone. If Slater wins, he gets the North American title. This makes sense for why Butch Reed would give Dick Slater another opportunity. Totally made sense. Great great promo um, and uh, move the program along. It was also also great because, like you said, it made sense, you know, it wasn't that Butch Reed, you know, and I thought considering the way the rest of the show was going, that Butch Reed was just, you know, he won dark journey and then, you know, we're going to go down that road. But instead it's just like you said, he wants to get rid of her. If he, if he gets her, he can get rid of her and he doesn't have to deal with her interfering in matches or anything. He has a great line where he's, he tells Dick Slater, put your woman where your big flappy mouth is, <laughs> which I just thought was fantastic. Um, he then says something about, you know, he'll put her back out on the street corner and then he laughs. Slater goes after him, but uh, 
but Reed Bowles laughing. And this was, this was really good. They had really good chemistry together. And, and Butch Reed just, I, I'll watch anything that has Butch Reed. He's, we've talked about before on this podcast, guys who we didn't appreciate when we were kids. And as the years have gone by, I've grown to appreciate uh, much more. And then with the opportunity of doing this podcast and seeing guys at different points in their careers, in some instances, that appreciation's grown even more. Butch Reed for me is absolutely that guy. Absolutely. When Doom, as a kid, when I saw Doom, and I saw Butch Reed, like, but I was so little you know, here in Mid-South, like seeing him in Doom, I always thought, well, Ron Simmons is awesome and Butch Reed sucks. As a kid, that's <laughs> what too. I thought, yeah. Yeah. you know, just because, you know, Ron Simmons was just more explosive. Butch Reed was a little older at that point in his career, just wasn't as dynamic. But man, you go back, Butch Reed was awesome. That he was. Now, Al Perez, less awesome. Uh, <laughs> He's, he is the epitome <laughs> of a guy here. Test of strength into a monkey flip. Perez lands on his feet and hits a drop kick. This is uh, th- this is pretty exciting and showing you that this is not just uh, a squash match like you've seen in the other TV tournament matches here. Al Perez's game. Slater takes him down, and he starts working on Perez's arm with a wrist lock. Yeah, this was cool, by the way. He gets him in a head scissors on the mat, and he grabs, you know, depending on what your wrestling inclination is, you would call it a double wrist lock or a Kimura, like out of UFC. Um, I was not expecting that here from Dick Slater, but Dick Slater, again, another guy that I did not appreciate when I was a kid and as years have gone by, I have. He also, we talk about Mount Rushmore's of different things in pro wrestling. Dick Slater on the Mount Rushmore of mean mugs and great angry faces in pro wrestling history. Yeah, Absolutely. Perez then uh, picks up Slater, tries to slam his way out of this wrist lock, but Slater won't let go of the hold. We get a brief flurry by Perez, but Slater right back to the hammer lock. Slater. We also get another really aggressive side headlock takeover. They love doing that move in Mid-South. Side headlock takeovers and holding the ropes when you get Irish whipped to stop a drop kick from happening. Those are the two things we see over and over on this show. And cards and letters. Cards and and letters. (laughs) Pulls Perez to the outside. They trade some chops. Slater, then this was just a ploy to catch Perez coming back in the ring. The announcers saw it coming a mile away. Yes, Pierce pointed that out, which I love. That was a great... Yeah, this was a Dick Slater special here. Going outside of the ring just so that he could get back in the ring first and then cut his opponent off as he tries to get back through the ropes. A, a dastardly thing from, from Dick Slater and fits his character perfectly. Yeah, back to the headlock takeover again. We get a backslide by Perez for a near fall. Slater goes for a figure four, but Perez gets a small package, another near fall. This is pretty fast-paced, by far the most fast-paced thing here on this show uh, in this sequence. And then Perez with a German souple for the pin, but Dark Journey puts Slater's foot on the rope. Good move. There it is, the souple. Belly to back, he's got him. One, two. Dark Journey. Dark Journey pulls Slater's feet over to the rope. I don't know if the referee, yeah, Carl Fergie saw it. He's, she saved Dick Slater. He was pinned. Perez is upset. Don't turn your back on him, Al. Perez upset because Dark Journey saved Dick Slater. He had Dick Slater pinned, and that would have advanced him into the tournament. Put Slater out. Elbow by Slater. 
He would have put him out because he... Well, yeah, that's the story they're trying to tell, but <laughs> Dick Slater already had his foot on the rope. Journey just kind of grabs his foot and keeps it there, and the ref sees it. But yeah, they're trying to say uh, that that she put his foot on there. So yeah, it wasn't the best execution, but I got what they were going for. Perez goes for a backdrop, but Slater with an elbow to the back of Perez's head. Which looked awesome, by the way. A lot Absolutely. of times we see counters to the backdrop, either a, a kick to the chest or an elbow like this. I don't know that I've ever seen, I, this is a very simple spot, but I don't know that I've ever seen it look better than how Dick Slater did this year. Just very cool, simple stuff. And he goes for the pile driver, but a backdrop counter by Perez. Perez rolls up Slater, dark journey on the apron. Slater then uses the tights to roll through, rolling up Perez, holding the tights, gets the pin. Dick Slater advances in the TV tournament. Yeah, this was a really fun match, especially by the standards of everything else on this show. Uh, El Perez was fine. He would, he would, regardless of whether he won the world class world title <laughs> or not, he would never go on to be great, but he would go on to be better than he was here. But he was perfectly fine. I thought Dick Slater was was really good here. Not again, not like Adrian Adonis level or anything, or you know his his closest comp Terry Funk again never reaches that level, but. For what he is, he's perfect for what they're using him for here. And uh, glad to see, finally, a really good wrestler make it through to the next round of the tournament. But that's not all. We have a standby match. After commercial, Jim Ross lets us know that we have time for our standby match, which we always talk about here. We love the idea of uh, a TV show. You you have to plan for the worst-case scenario. That yes. The match will go the time limit draw. So in case... The matches end earlier than the allotted time limits. You need to have a standby match ready. And, and they did reference this earlier in the show, too, that this match was standing by. So it's one of those things that it's a lost art in pro wrestling television to have that, as you mentioned, for a believability factor. Would love to see that come back and was happy to see that here. Buzz Sawyer and Dr. Death Steve Williams. My God, terrifying versus Jimmy Backlund and Mark Cooper. Now I have thoughts. Oh, Do you know these are some quality jobbers here. I <laughs> was so happy to see Jimmy Jimmy Backlund and Mark Cooper. Well, they are. First, we'll get into Mark Cooper, who he. I mean, the only way you can describe him is high school gym teacher, and he there. He's in very briefly in this match, and to me, it's it's pretty clear that he is completely untrained. His tag team partner, Jimmy Backlund. <laughs> well, first let's laugh at his appearance, which because yes. with jobbers, that's what you now, do. Both these guys. Yeah, both these guys, they're skinny guys. They have ill-fitting wrestling gear. Yes. And, and Terrible Jim- hair. Mark Cooper has like a balding hair that he has not acknowledged that that's the situation, but that is clearly the situation. His tag team oh, partner, Jimmy, but- oh, Jimmy Backlund. He Jimmy has, Backlund. He has a ginger mullet. <laughs> he does. He has a mustache. Do you know who Jimmy Backlund is? And I did not have to look this up. I I had remembered this, and then I was able to look it up. No. Do you know who he is? No, I do not. Would you believe me if I told you that some eight years later, in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, Jimmy Backlund would be one half. Of the Heavenly Bodies, teaming with Dr. Tom Pritchard, managed by Jim Cornette, 
This is Jimmy Del Rey. No way. That's impossible. It is not only possible, it is true. (laughs) Incredible. Imagine. What a transformation. (laughs) Because this was not a heavenly body. (laughs) No, no, not in any way, shape, or form. Imagine this Jimmy Backlund doing that (laughs) disgusting dance that Jimmy Del Rey, the gigolo Jimmy Del Rey would do. Oh gosh, no! This was, uh, yeah, no. They, these two guys, I can't imagine. I'm gonna have to go uh, do a side by side comparison because uh, I, <laughs> do I you, don't see it. Do you also recall, by the way, his brief run on Nitro and WCW was like it was either Jimmy or I think it was Jimmy Graffiti. <laughs> this I don't, re- I do not but, remember. <laughs> but yes, I guarantee you, this is Jimmy Backlund. Wow. Look it up. It is Gigolo Jimmy Del Rey. Um, clearly he found his gigolo nature some in the seven or eight years intervening because it was not here. These are two glorious, just geeks of jobbers here. And I'm salivating knowing that these two men are about to take on Dr. Death, Steve Williams, Buzz Sawyer. This was so great. Sawyer. This, yeah, this is my favorite thing on this show by a mile. Yes. Buzz starts out destroying Jimmy Backlund. And Sawyer, he screams as he drops an elbow on the guy and then starts choking him on the mat. He is. We've talked about it before. Seeing him here even a little, like, he is an absolutely terrifying wrestler. And then we'll see it even more in the promo afterwards. I I still hear, as a nearly 40-year-old man, this is 35 years ago, 36 years ago, and I am getting scared. Of, Bo- of Buzz Sawyer as I'm watching this, his combination of intensity as far as what he does in the ring and then his screaming and grunting, like almost anyone else doing this character, it would come off as just uh, just sort of camp and, and you would laugh and it wouldn't really have the intended effect, but he is just, he's just so good at being Buzz Sawyer. Yeah, he was less gross than the Buzz Sawyer in the late eighties WCW run with, uh, uh, with Terry Funk and the great Muda and Gary Hart. Uh, he, he was always more like just more out of shape and greasy and just gross, uh, in that run you, here. He's how, less. How old was he? Cause didn't we do this before when we talked to <laughs> him and like, it was shocking how, uh, not old, n- not he, old he was. Yes. And he's, yes, he's very not old here. He was not old then either. And, uh, yeah, well, this it, is also, this is just barely two years after the last battle of Atlanta, Buzz Sawyer versus Tommy Rich, which you have not, if you have not listened back to that podcast from season one, I know you and I would highly recommend that Jeremy, one of the oh, favorite absolutely. shows. One of our favorite shows that we've watched and one of the, I think one of the best podcasts we've done. And if you want to hear all about, uh, I think we could comfortably say Buzz Sawyer's most famous and best match of all time. Uh, so wait, he was born in 1959. So this man was 26 years old here, <laughs> 26 years old, yeah. which means he was only 24, maybe not even 24 uh, in that last battle of Atlanta match. Yeah, go listen to that show. We we do this exact same shtick, uh, talking about Buzz Sawyer. <laughs> but what a match uh, there with Tommy Rich. Here we see him destroying jobbers. He tags in Dr. Death, and Dr. Death presses him over his head a few times and then drops him. 
this Jimmy Backlund is getting destroyed and it's glorious. Yeah, Sawyer is grunting and yelling as he ragdolls Jimmy Backlund. Like Terry Gordy from 1989 would be concerned that Buzz Sawyer was being too reckless with this jobber. Yeah, he Sawyer throws Backlund into his own corner so he can tag Mark Cooper in. Oh, it's, God. It's one of my favorite things in squash tags is when you yes. throw the guy into his own corner so that he can tag because you want to beat up the other guy too. There's and, Really, we've talked about it before, I think, with the Simone Swat team, uh, squash on that 89 Worldwide show. There's nothing more insulting and like downright <laughs> emasculating that you can do to your opponent than or really to the guy on the, on the apron that you're, you throw the other guy into the corner and you're telling that guy on the apron that you are so unconcerned with him that you would rather him come in than the guys that you just spent the last three or four minutes killing, uh, you know, than having him in the ring. Sawyer hits a high drop kick, hits Cooper in the face. Great height on this drop kick. Not yes. expecting that out of a buzz Sawyer. Yeah. It's one of those things we've talked about where, uh, you know, surprisingly great drop kicks from certain guys. I think we actually had one on a very recent show. I can't recall who that was uh, that we were talking about, but Buzz Sawyer definitely fits into that mold as well. Clotheslines, Backland and Cooper, Dr. Death back in, Oklahoma Stampede Power Slam for the pin, Buzz Sawyer and Dr. Death beat up jobbers in glorious fashion. Yes, and during this match, Bill Watts is saying, you know, how great would it be if Grizzly Smith's hat gave us these two guys wrestling against each other. Yeah, we're told that Grizzly Smith fired up the Mid-South version of the randomizer, and we have tournament matches for next week. Dr. Death versus Rob Rick Steiner. Yes, who is Rick Steiner. Rick Steiner. Jake the Snake versus Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. I want that match now. Yes. Uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan versus Humongous. Yeah, we got the wrong we, show. Yes, I, we were I robbed. Want this, or I want that show from like three weeks prior that was Ric Flair versus Ted DiBiase for the world heavyweight title, for the NWA world title, uh, one of the most legendary episodes of uh, of Mid-South and of weekly TV. We missed out on that. And yeah, I want Jake versus Gilbert. I want Dr. Death versus a young pre-Rick Steiner. Steiner. <laughs> I'm just imagining how crazy Bill Watts is going to go because it's one of the things that, uh, we briefly, or we didn't touch on, I can't remember, whatever the opener was, somebody involved in that might have even been with Butch Reed. Just, Bill Watts gets so excited when he can talk about football and guys' oh, yeah. football backgrounds. And I immediately like, well, yeah, that's why Jim Ross, that's why Bill Watts liked Jim Ross so much. And it's why Jim Ross always still to this day loves talking about guys' football backgrounds. But yeah, I can only imagine Bill Watts with a Rick Steiner, Dr. Death match in 1985. Slater comes over to the desk ranting. Buzz Sawyer comes over being gross. He's screaming. And they're also, it's also great because each of them, like they're clearly locking eyes on a camera when they're cutting their promos, but the camera is nowhere near the camera that we're actually seeing right now that this shot is from. Like this is just a, a shot that's looking directly at the, uh, at the desk. And they're clearly looking at a camera that's way off in the distance to the left somewhere. Yeah, Sawyer is cutting his promo, screaming, threatening Duggan's girlfriend, Deborah. Watts cuts him off, recaps the upcoming stars coming to Mid-South, and the show goes off the air. 
I enjoyed this episode. I like uh, some good, good uh, squash matches. We had some here. We had some. We 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 did have a couple boring uh, matches, but uh, overall, I yeah, I wish we got next week's episode, but this yeah. one was totally fine. Yeah, no, this was very fun. the uh, The format of this show is fantastic. Uh, the content of this show, this episode of Mid South Wrestling, was hurt a little bit by the fact that this was a first round. TV title tournament show and there are just a lot of guys who aren't very good and I don't think otherwise would have been in in you know competitive matches on the show you know and I think again it's just luck of the draw too because you look at like we talked about what was going to be on the following week's show and those are uh, very enticing matches for the tournament uh, but yeah the, the format for this is great Bill Watts is incredible guiding you through the show uh, and getting you caught up without any video packages. Like that's one of the things here. We had no video recaps and yet I felt more caught up. And in my mind's eye, I could conjure up these things based on the very vivid descriptions that Bill Watts gave, you know, more so than some of these shows where we've had actual video recaps. So that was great. Um, again, you could have done with done without some of the stuff, particularly in the flare promo, which usually that's, as good as gold and there's nothing to comp- uh, complain about in, in a flare promo, but definitely some things, you know, that even some stuff in the, uh, the hacksaw Jim Duggan promo that feel a little bit weird and uncomfortable to say the least uh, looking at it through modern lenses, but that's for better or definitely worse. That was the way of the world in pro wrestling in the mid eighties. Uh, but yeah, good show. I did want to note in that last segment, uh, a few really funny things where as Buzz Sawyer is screaming, one of the only things I can make out is him saying, Dugan, you get your old hag out of here. <laughs> Just hearing Buzz Sawyer say that as he's swinging his chain around and around and threatening everyone in the building. Again, as I said, just a terrifying individual. Uh, speaking of the word individual, Dick Slater then says, and he says this in his Dick Slater voice, but in such a matter of fact way, he says in a direct quote, Duggan, you've got to realize you are a very stupid individual. <laughs> that just made uh, made uh, made this show for me. Made my afternoon watching this. Um, so yeah, good stuff. We'd love your thoughts on Mid South as well. The best way to interact with the show is to send us a message on Twitter at Wrestle at Random. If you're off of Twitter because it can be a cesspool, we get it. We also have an email wrestling at random at gmail.com we want to hear your thoughts on the show we want to hear your thoughts on other shows you're watching the entire back catalog is out there it is all evergreen content if you went uh based on our recommendation went back into season one listen to the episode all about the last battle of atlanta and have thoughts to share we want to hear those too because it's it's evergreen. It's out there just because you haven't heard it yet. Good news. It's new to you. You don't have to wait till next week's episode. You can go back to the archives, hit stuff that you missed. And if you're all caught up and you've listened to everything already and you still want more content, good news. We offer a Patreon, patreon.com slash wrestling at random, where you can sign up for the tier that will give you access to the bonus feed where we have full-length shows, we have random matches, we have stuff that doesn't fit into this free feed here that the randomizer pulls, it's only a match or two, okay, well, that's going on the Patreon. Uh, We have full shows where people have 
chosen the tier where you could be the randomizer. You can executive produce the show. You can choose what podcast we're going to review. And you tell us the show, we do the podcast for you. And so we've had a few of those. Uh, the Helena Cell, Undertaker, and Shawn Michaels, the first one from Bad Blood, uh, Clash of the Champions 9, um, Dynamite Kid versus uh, Tiger Mask from 82, 83. Go. Ric Flair versus Barry Windham from Worldwide. NWA World Title Match 5-Star Classic. A lot of 5-star match reviews on the Patreon feed. So and there's... some wacky bad stuff, too. Don't totally. be concerned that it's all... we're only talking <laughs> about the cream of the crop. There's some stuff that definitely doesn't fit into that category as well. So if you want to have a laugh. Uh, that is right there for you. If you're listening in linear fashion, uh, we already are into the double digits of episodes on the Patreon feed. So if you, you know, like you said, Jeremy, if you've listened to the uh, around 50 episodes already of the free feed and you want more, you've got uh, there's a bingeable amount of stuff already there on the uh, Patreon bonus audio feed. And we have those are new episodes that come out each and every Thursday in addition to this free feed that uh, you get new episodes, as you know, every Sunday evening. So make sure you're following us on social media to find out what shows we're reviewing for that week on both the Patreon bonus feed and the free feed. All of the links to subscribe to the show are available at the website wrestlingatrandom.com. If you cannot support the show financially in these times, we get it. We appreciate you listening anyway to the free feed so you can support the show by telling your wrestling fan friends about us or tell your friends that used to be wrestling fans about us. Yes, or tell your former friends who you know or believe might still be wrestling fans. Uh, You know, give them a shout. Tell them about the show. Um, You know, maybe tell them about two podcasts. You know, tell them about this one which is really good. They'll listen to it and they'll like it and think, wow, maybe this guy's my friend. And then also tell them about a really terrible podcast. (laughs) Make sure you tell them about that second. They'll listen to that and then think, oh God, this guy's still a jerk. And then you'll never have to talk to him again, but you'll have helped us out. Yes, and we appreciate all of the help we get from all the listeners. We appreciate all the interactions. We we respond to every single one of them. So please uh, make sure that you keep those coming. Again, wrestlingatrandom.com for all the information. And with that, we're going to wrap it up. Adam, thanks for joining us. Definitely. Thank you, Jeremy. This was a fun walk down pretty close to memory lane for me, as I said, Mid-South, along with World Class, uh, one of the two promotions I grew up on. So good times. I've been wanting to see a Mid-South show for a while and review it on this podcast. We finally did it. Uh, We didn't mention, very quickly, we should say, favorite and least favorite things on this show. And again, the worst thing on the show, obviously, the uh, uh, stuff in the Flair promo. But taking that out for me, favorite thing, Buzz Sawyer and Dr. Death killing a young Jimmy Del Rey and Mark Cooper. Yes, Fantastic squash. Least favorite thing, uh, that terrible, boring... Uh, junior heavyweight tussle uh, for for the TV title tournament. But even that wasn't terrible because it was a backdrop for Bill Watts to tell us about everything going on. Yeah, we're totally in agreement on uh, both of those assessments. And with that, we're going to wrap it up. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll talk to you again next